Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Money is our subject for these next four weeks. Hallelujah. And money's not a bad subject. Money is a very good subject because it takes money to live on this, in this life. And, uh, you know, we all know, if you've been brought up or in the prosperity message at all, you know, the, the, one of the basic scriptures that we all know is out of 3 John 2. And it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So we believe in prospering. Well, why are not some people prospering? Who believe that? Who quote that? Who say that? Who confess that? You know, why are they not prospering? Well, I can tell you a lot of the reason that some people aren't prospering is because they're, they're poor financial money managers. No amount of faith is going to make up for poor money management. If you don't learn to manage what God has already given you, then he will never be able to increase you because God is not an enabler. He's not going to let you become codependent on him. He's not going to enable you to continue in bad habits. He will not bless you if you don't learn to take care of what he's already given you and to make the most of what he's already given you. You know, we should not be forced by our circumstances to live in such a way that that we can can survive. You know, we ought to, to, to take what we've got and make the most of it. Yes, meet our needs. You know, take care of some of our wants. Have money left over to to give to someone else who's in need. But, you know, I've seen uh, several times, you know, over the years where somebody who was doing well and was prosperous, you know, suddenly hadn't had to to take a back uh, stand back a bit and take a look at what they were doing with their money because they had financial reverses. Something had had happened. you know, different things, and, and I'm thinking this, you know, this one particular person I'm thinking of, I, I, you know, I was just aghast, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I could tell you a lot of what your problems are, but you wouldn't hear me, so I'm not going to waste my breath on it, but, uh, you know, they were just going on and on about how, how they, were having to, they were having to make do on, on this and this and this, and I'm thinking, you still have a housekeeper. I still see new shoes on you. I see those nails are done, and they didn't get done by themselves. You know, so don't talk to me about how you're having to cut back. I don't want to hear that. I know what it means to cut back. You know, I know what it means, you know, to say no to things. And, and I know when, when times have been tough, what it took, you know, to, to survive on what I had without making matters worse. And so we're going to be talking about money management. So I want to know tonight, I'll give, let's do a little bit of back and forth here. What does the term money management mean to you? Budgeting? What? Surviving. Come on. Y'all talk to me now. Cash flow. Spending wisely. Planning. Making more than you spend. All right. Well, those are all good things. Ultimately, when it comes to money and everything that we do with money, it really comes down to one term, stewardship. We need to be good stewards of what God has given us. Anything and everything you have comes from him. And the problem sometimes comes from the place that we, we you know, get our eyes off the fact that, number one, God's given it to us. We think, you know, look at me, look what I can do, look at my abilities, my talents, they've gotten me this far. Listen, if God stripped you of those talents just for overnight, you would be in a mess. 
He gave you those talents. He gave you those abilities. Anything you have, you look at anything you have, and God gave that to you if you have it. It belongs to him. You know, Jacob said, he made the statement over in in Genesis 28, and he said, of all that you give me. In that statement, he recognized God as the one who had given him everything. And that we are to be a good steward of everything God gives us. Not to use it wastefully, not to use it just frivolously on ourselves and our wants. Um, We live in a consumer-driven society. That's what commercials are all about. And too often we pay more heed to the commercials than what we do to our heart and what the word says to us. We see something that, oh, that looks good. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, I'd love to have that. Oh, oh my. You know, we get so taken with names and labels and none. And, yeah, and we get ourselves into a world of, of trouble. But I'm going to tell you right now, right up front, that, that if you're having money issues with very few exceptions, your flesh is your biggest problem. Mm, no big amens on that, but, but it's true just the same. It is true, you know, because we tend, as a society, want more than we can afford, and we want more than we should splurge on ourselves because we, we, we tie up our well-being and our, and our whole self-worth sometimes in the abundance of things that we have, and that is not where our self-worth comes from. It comes from the one that's on the inside of us. And so we need to be a good steward. In 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it says, it is required in stewards. Another version uh, says that word is called trustee. It is required in stewards or trustees that a man be found faithful. In Matthew 25, 23, Jesus was saying, says, well done. This was the, uh, the parable of the... Um, Man, the servant with the talents and things, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now in Luke 16, 10 through 11, it says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful or trustworthy in unrighteous mammon, which another version says money matters, who will commit to you the true riches? You know, he expects us to be faithful when it comes to money. There, there is so much in the Bible about There's over 2,000 scriptures in the Bible that have to do with money, about how we, you know, should be, uh, you know, be cautious where money is concerned, how we should handle our money, how should we conduct ourselves when it comes to financial affairs. I mean, there's just numerous places where it talks about Proverbs has a wealth of scriptures, especially when it comes to finances and business and how you deal with the things that the affairs of this life. It's a great place to go. God expects us to make, to take what he gives us. And like I said, make the very most of it. But to do that requires wisdom. Now, wisdom, you know, as we all know, sometimes we lack it. And James says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of me, and I will give to him liberally. You know, but the key to wisdom is if you ask for it, then you have to act on it. There's a lot of people who know what they should do and don't do it. So wisdom by itself won't do anybody any good unless you put it into practice. And so, you know, we're supposed to not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Not only hearers on the inside of what God's telling us. How many times you've been to the store and you decide, I'm, going, I'm just going to buy that. I'm just going to buy that. And on the inside, you're going, uh-uh, something's going, don't do it. 
don't do it. I know I want it. I want it. I want it. And you, you justify this. I mean, you, in your mind, you've got all these good reasons why you should have it. And on the inside, it's going, uh-uh, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh-uh, don't do it. You get home, you take the tags off of it, you put it on. I'm assuming, you know, you're putting it on. Whatever you're doing with it, you start using it, and then you know, I shouldn't have bought this. And there is no joy in that, in that thing that you just did. Well, you got to learn to listen. There are times when the Lord will say, treat yourself. And there are times when your own heart will say, don't buy that. Don't spend that. Don't go out to eat this week one more time. I love to go out to eat because I don't want to cook anymore. I cooked for years. Now that it's just the two of us, I don't want to cook. But, like right now, I'm in the middle of a big project at home, and so we're eating out lots less because of that. You know, on one hand, I can do that sometimes, but when I've got something else going on, I will take those things that I want to do, and I won't do them. You know, it makes sense. If you're going to raise your expenses over here, you have to lower them somewhere else. So anyway, you know, there are times your heart's trying to tell you, don't do something. Don't do it. Don't do it. Anyway, uh, wisdom. What is exactly wisdom in finances? Number one, it's knowledge. Number two, it's planning. Number three, it's decision making. And number four, it's handling your finances, and I'm talking about in record keeping, in payment making, um, and all of that kind of stuff. So and when it comes to your finances, that's what wisdom all entails. Knowledge, planning, decision making, and handling of your records wisely. Luke 16.8 is talking about the unjust steward, and it says the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. He's talking about money. You know, there is no reason why the, the people of this world should be wiser than the Christians are. And, and I know there's a balance, you know, to, to certain things that I, you know, I hope you will have to, I believe you'll have to go home and you'll have to find it. You know, when we talk about, we're going to talk about money from a strictly practical standpoint. And I know there are things, specific things that God will talk to you about that may not line up with world and natural wisdom, but let me add this to you. If God tells you to do something that seems to be out of the realm of what natural wisdom would dictate, God will back up his word. He will back it up because he has has indebted himself to that. If he asked you to give something at a particular time and yet it it was earmarked for something else and he says, no, I want you to give it here, you better be sure it's God, number one. But number two, God is then obligated to pay whatever that bill was. You know, some, whatever you had allocated, he's obligated. Now, if uh, God didn't say, God's not obligated. You know, and that, that's, I think, what Ed Elliott had said. When God gives you, when he has a plan, he pays for it. When you have a plan, he ain't got to pay for it. You know, that's my children. They would always make plans for my money. You know, as they, when they were growing up, Mom, how about some new tennis shoes? Oh, how about I get this? I got to say, well, fine, you know, pay for it. You, you can have it, sure, go ahead and pay for it. And he went, oh, I meant, I have to pay for it? And I'm going, yeah, yeah, if you want it, you can have it, sure, go ahead, pay for it. Oh, uh, well, I don't guess I really don't need it. It was easy as long as it's spending my money, but not so easy when they're spending their money. You know, but with God, if God tells you to do something, he will provide. 
And so I, I don't want to get out of balance on that. I mean, but I want to stay strictly probably in a financial realm and let the Spirit of the Lord talk to you about other things. But um, what is your current attitude and money habits say about you? We're going to talk about some of this. Number one, it speaks about who you consider your source. Is the economy of this nation your source? Is your job your source? Is your family your source? Or is God your source? And most of the time, I can figure that out pretty quickly when I see who tithes and who doesn't. A person who really knows that God is their source will, number one, be completely and totally committed to giving God what belongs to him. Now, technically, 100% of what you have belongs to him. All he's ever asked for you to give back to him is 10%, and that's a pretty good deal. You get 100, he wants 10. You know, and so really, that's, I see that so many times, I, and, I, and I, just, I just am amazed when I know people are not tithing because I'm thinking you're only hurting yourself. The worst thing you can do when you're managing your money is not tithe. The worst thing you can do. Because the enemy will come and he will steal what you don't give God. He'll steal it in ways that you're not even thinking about. He'll steal it with cars that need fixing all the time. He'll steal it by refrigerators that break down and washing machines that need repairing. He'll steal it by having you go to the doctor more than you want to go to the doctor. He'll steal it all kinds of ways. But I'm telling you, when you put God number one and you make sure that he's the source and you recognize him as the, as the source of everything that comes into your hands, then God will be honored and he will put you over. It's unfortunate that I, I, I see so many times, you know, I go back to what Jacob said. Jacob said, of all that you give me, Lord, I will give the tenth back unto you. He said, surely I will give the tenth back to you. And sometimes, you know, I know that people only think, okay, my salary from my job, I tithe on that. And they don't think about anything else. I think somebody recently, I don't know if it was you or somebody else recently had talked about tithing. I think it was, I think it was you during uh, that series, short series he did on your responsibility to your local church. I, I do know that people do not tithe on all that God gives them. I'm careful to tithe on every single thing that comes into our hands that's increase. <clears throat> whether it's a gift, whether it's um, a gift certificate, whether somebody took me out to eat, whether somebody gave me something, I will try my best to figure out what something cost and tithe on it. Uh, it's, it's pretty, and when it gets to the place that the something that somebody gives you, you have to look at going, okay, how am I going to tithe on this? You know, you're in a good place because God has blessed you so abundantly. But what else is there? Oh, there's birthday presents. There's Christmas gifts. There's real estate. Hmm. I always know when somebody's really, how committed they really are to giving their tithe when they sell property and then find out whether they tithe on, on what they sold or not. Because I'm here to tell you, if you can let go of $10 out of 100, you ought to be able to let go of 10,000 out of 100,000. But it's unfortunate that people who get to a place where they, they find themselves with enough income that comes in like that, that they suddenly go, oh, that's a lot of money. I can't tithe on that. I can't give that kind of money away. It's the same 10%, guys. 
Do you want your next house blessed or don't you? I mean, the way I look at it, I mean, everybody has to figure out their way if they were to sell real estate. How, how do I tithe on that? Well, for me at least, I mean, I take my, my, the house that, that I just sold and, and the profit I made on it. Okay, what did I pay for it? This is what I sold it for. This is what I paid for it. Take off my real estate cost, you know, my, my real estate agent, the closing cost, and whatever's left is what we tithe on. That is increased to me. You know, and some t- that could be substantial. My parents, when they finally sold a piece of property that they've lived on for 30 years, a few years ago, my dad walked away with a million dollars. Now, he was held on that property, and, and he struggled to keep the property and all this for a lot of years, but he knew that one day he would walk away from that property with a million dollars, and he did. He tithed $100,000 to, to his local church. You know, and, and he knows, he knew that, I mean, my, my dad's gone on now, but he knew that that was something he needed to do. Well, my thinking is, if I sell a house and I'm going to buy another house, I want my new house blessed. I don't want everything breaking down and having to have a new roof and all this kind of stuff. I want to make sure God has his, I've honored God with what he's already, with what he's given me, with the profit he gave me on the old house. I want to make sure that that honor is there so that when I go to my new house, it's covered, Hallelujah. You know, so you need to stop and you need to think about these things. If it's increasing in your life, figure out what the value of it is. Put a dollar figure on it and tithe. If you want to stay blessed, don't let those sources dry up on you. Don't let those things become to a place where God can't funnel money to you anymore because you're not faithful in those areas. You will struggle to live on what you and get by on what you've got if you continue to do that. God cannot bless that. He will not bless that. I don't believe he will continue to bless people that will not honor him in everything. To the extent you honor God, he will bless you. And so keep that in mind. Number two, what does your attitude and your money habits say about you? Number two, it speaks about your work ethic. These days, you know, it's, it's all over the board. Anybody who's an employer who needs to hire somebody, they will tell you it is very hard to find somebody that is willing to actually work. They want eight hours of pay for five and a half hours worth of work. If that, you know, they want to be paid the highest scale for the least work. Travis, am I right? You're in the construction industry. You know it all the time, don't you? And, uh, huh? Oh, he's got 12 hours of pay for three hours of work. Well, see, oh man. But yeah, you can't do that. If you want God to honor you, you must have a good work ethic. And that is to give your employer eight hours worth of real work for eight hours worth of real pay. The person who does that will be blessed. The person who does that will be noticed by the employer. The person who does that will make constant you know, upgrades of their job. Promotions will come their way. When they look for somebody that they want to entrust more responsibility to, they'll look to you. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says a man that won't work will not eat and we're living in a society where people who don't want to work but they want to live on welfare and they want the government to hand them money which is my money and your money they want me to pay them while they sit there and do nothing I don't believe that you know, I, I believe, you know, it's nice the government's there to assist when people really genuinely need help, but it's become a welfare society where people just want somebody else to do the work and give all the benefits to them. That's not right. 
Um, it also says in First, in First Timothy five eight that a man who won't provide for his own household is worse than an infidel. You know, it's a, it's astonishing the number of, of people who, you know, men who will not provide for their own family. They're content to let somebody else go out and work. They're content to let somebody else raise their child and pay for it. You know, and, and unfortunately, I speak to a lot of, uh, you know, a single, single dads or, or divorced dads who uh, don't pay their child support. That falls under 1 Timothy 5.8, a man who will not provide for his own. Worse than an infidel. You cannot stand before God with a clear heart and expect God to bless you if you do not provide for your own, whether you're married to the mother of that child anymore or not. And in a home, finances should be combined. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know where this new age philosophy is going to be. That. This is my money. This is your money. You pay the house payment and I'll pay the, the electric bill. And what is that? When I got married, it was what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. We are in this together. And bless God, we made the bills together. We pay the bills together. It doesn't matter who makes what. Together, we make sure that this household is taken care of. Uh, Proverbs 20 verse 13 says, do not love sleep. See, we go back to some of the, these guys who don't want to work, but they do want to get paid. It says, do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, which means get yourself out of the bed and get to work. And you will be satisfied with bread, this kind as well as the eating kind. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. God will raise him up. When he excels on the job, God will see to that he is promoted over and over again, that people come to him, that he's blessed, and it's obvious that he's blessed. What else does it speak to you about? Your attitudes about money and your habits. It speaks about your priorities. What are your priorities? Is God your priority? Is the kingdom of God your priority? Is your family your priority? Are your own personal wants your priority? It says a lot. You know, I know men as well as women, you know, who are out there, you know, they've got money in their hands and it's burning a hole in their pockets. Well, we've got a car payment to make next week, but I need this fishing pole. Oh, I need to make the electric payment, but oh, he won't know. There's this, there's this new watch that I really want. Oh, there's this new sweater I've just got to have. Oh, there's a new pair of shoes that, oh, I just have to have them. No, you don't have to have them. What are your priorities in life? You know, what, where, where have you placed the order of things? You know, in your money. Give me your checkbook. I'll show you what your priorities are. It's easy to see. Um, now, next one, it says, um, what does your current attitude and money habits say about you? Next is it speaks about your motives. Proverbs 22 28, 22 says, a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. There are people out there, you know, who just want, they want all the goodies of this life. Their motives are to have what everybody else has. Their motives are to, to be the one who looks like you have more than anybody else. You know, the, you know what was that old saying about keeping up with, the, with Joneses? Yeah, we've got to keep up with, just because somebody else got a new car, uh, Got to have a new car. I mean, got to look as good as everybody else. You know, the, the place that Brad and them came out of years, several years ago, you know, everybody had to have a new car all the time, right? Had to have Cadillac and had to be white, as I recall, didn't? Eh, not necessarily. 
They just happened to like that color a lot. But yeah, when one person in that church got a new car, everybody had to get a new car. And it couldn't be a Toyota, it had to be a Cadillac. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. What is your motive? Is it so that you look good for people? Or what? Let me read you something. Let me find it real quick. Listen to this. The story. Uh, this is, I'll give you some great references by the time this thing is over. Places you can go for some uh, more help in making budgets and things. Ron Blue is the name of the, this guy. And he says, not long ago, I stopped in a jewelry store to have a ring sized. I was standing at the counter when I noticed a well-dressed young man purchasing a, purchasing a Rolex watch. A Rolex watch has become, along with a Mercedes or BMW car, a symbol of success. This man was purchasing a relatively inexpensive $2,000 Rolex, which we all know a lot of them sell for over ten grand. Yet when the sales contract was written, I noticed that it was for approximately $4,000. I thought there must have been some mistake. It turned out that the price of the watch was indeed $2,000, but the finance charge was an additional $2,000. The man had purchased the watch with $285 down and a monthly payment of $235. When he walked out of the store with that watch on, he was giving the impression that he could afford a Rolex. Yet, could he really? Is that not ridiculous? Okay, now you laugh about that. But if, if I were to, to sit you alone in a room for about five minutes, I bet you the Lord could bring back to your remembrance something you had done that was equally as stupid. I'm not going to mince words in these four weeks, okay? So I don't have time for that. I wanna, I, we're living in a day and age where the enemy is after you. He's after your finances. He's after the finances that belong in the kingdom of God, and we're going to put a stop to it. And so if that requires being a little blunt with you, then blunt we shall be. But anyway... Uh, next, what does it speak? It speaks about your integrity. The way you're, you handle your money and your attitudes about money speaks about your integrity. What do I mean by integrity? If you have made a commitment to pay something, how well do you pay it? Do you pay it on time? Do you pay the full amount that you owe? Do you put people off when you owe them money? I mean, I, I, was, I was around a family member a lot of years ago who had a business. And, um, you know, there were many phone calls that came in about, okay, uh, we need payment for such and such. And I would hear them say, oh, it's in the mail. I would hear them say, oh, I, you know, I, I was just going to write that check. Oh, I was just, all, that's no integrity. There, there's no integrity in that at all. You know, when it comes to the things, you know, of, of money, you need to be full of integrity. If you owe it, you owe it, you pay it. And you don't pay it 10 days late, you pay it on time. It, the only reason it should be late is, is for some reason the post office managed to foul things up, which the United States Postal Service can do. And, and that's the only, only thing. If you owe it, you pay it. And you pay it no matter what. If you have to sacrifice something else to make sure a bill is paid on time, you need to do that. God will give you some wisdom. If you find yourself, if you've gotten yourself in a mess in a time predicament or something, you know, God will help you. He'll give you some wisdom on that to help you. But you owe it to the person that you, that you owed the money to to get it to them on time. Perhaps you can't get it to them in the full amount of time. Be honest with them. 
You know, it's amazing. I would much rather somebody be honest with me than to give me something that I know is just a line of nonsense. Just be honest with me. I mean, you know, if, if, I mean, I'm kind of like that about church attendance. You know, if I if they say, hey, I've missed you. Well, I've been this, I've been that. No, just say, I was just home, didn't want to come. I, I respect a whole, somebody who says that to me a whole lot more than somebody who gives me something that I know is just lame excuses. Just say, I don't want, didn't want to come. And I'll be happy. I won't be that happy, but I'll be, you know, satisfied with it. Because at least I know you told me the truth. You know, so if you owe somebody money, pay it. Proverbs 22, one says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. There's a lot of things you can buy, but a good name is not one of them. A good name is something you, you achieve by how you handle yourself in this life. Do you want somebody to think that you, you know, you're a slacker, that you don't pay your bills, that you, you, know, you try to get out of paying them? No. You know, so your attitudes about that and the way you do your money should show your integrity. Uh, I, you know, I was blessed to, to actually walk, work for Robert and Annette Butler for about a year, I guess it was, back in the late 80s. And um, Robert said, I never knew anybody who took such joy in paying bills. <laughs> you spend my money so fast. and going, but you don't owe anybody anything. <laughs> but what I was, was really blessed when I saw that was the integrity that Robert Butler has. You know, in the integrity of the way he deals with his finances and the, in his business and the way he, he deals with his suppliers and all that, the way he deals with customers in general, I know the time that he underbid something. He made a mistake in his, in his addition or something, and, he, and it was a, I think it was a grocery store that you were doing, the Winn-Dixie, and, uh, and, he, and he made a mistake on that. What did he do? He stood by his word. He stood by his word and did the job for exactly what he said he would do it for, even though it cost him a profit. But he stood by his word. That's a man of integrity. That's, that, that made me know I could trust Robert Butler implicitly with anything to, to see what he did in, in the workforce like that. And I, could, and I knew, you know, just, just dealing with that for that year, you know, how they handled things and when things were tight, you know, I saw what they did and the integrity that they used to make sure their suppliers and their, and their workers got paid. You know, that's a good name. And that is worth a lot more than a million dollars. Hallelujah. What else does it speak about? What does your attitude and your money habits speak about? It speaks about your self-discipline. You know, we've already covered a little bit of that. About can you say no when you go in a store? Things that you just love, can you say no to them? Well, if you can't say no, stay out of the store. If you can't say no, don't watch the commercials. If you can't say no, don't be around somebody who just bought one something that you want. You know, stay away from it. You know, know yourself well enough to know that whatever it takes to say no. But you have to, you have to discipline your flesh. If you can't discipline your flesh in the area of money, you will not discipline yourself in the area of your flesh in anything else. It's one of the great separators to, to see I see people who when they can't say no to their flesh when in, in money matters, they don't say no to their flesh anywhere else in spiritual things. I see it. You know, people sometimes have the idea that, that you know, they can pull a fast one over on you, that kind of stuff. You just can't believe how smart I am and how easy it is to see, how easy it is for anybody to see that that's just not so. You know, it's... Um, 
it's a whole lot easier to let people think you spend a whole lot for something and you only spend five bucks for it. I have a Rolex, but it came from the streets of New York, from Chinatown. I think I paid 20 bucks for it. <laughs> I don't care. You know, if it's got the name on the label, okay, great. Really, it doesn't really matter to me a whole lot whether it's got a big brand name label or whatever. But hey, if it's going to have, it's not because I spent that kind of money on it. You can be sure of that. I am just absolutely opposed to paying full price for anything. Absolutely. I don't want to pay their markup because I know they're making a profit on it. I want them to make less of a profit on it. I want them to be happy and me to be happy. You know, God knows that uh, I, I believe I'm Jewish to the core. You know, right to the core. You know, I say y'all and ain't, but I'm Jewish right to the core because I will not pay full price for something. It's a rare thing that I've ever done that. You know, but there's many times I've said no to something that I wanted. There's many times I've brought something home and went, no, nah, that wasn't a great idea. And just turned around and took it right back. You know, and, and that's what we need to do. We need to be to a place in our lives where it comes to money that we're able to say no when we need to say no. If we don't have the money for it, we don't spend it. Um, Luke twelve fifteen says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of possessions. Mm -mm. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Whether it's food, whether it's things, no matter what it is, it's not possessions. Life is not possessions. You know, the Bible clearly tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, but not tomorrow. You know, prosperity is a progressive thing. We start at one place in life and as we're faithful, God moves us on and moves us on and moves us on until one day we look and the quality of life that we're living is so much better than what we were living five years ago. And we don't even realize, it's kind of like kids that grow up, you know, you, you have a child and maybe you don't see them for a week or something. You come back, oh my heavens, you've grown so much. With me, it's like grandkids. When I don't see, you know, my, my grandkids in Tampa for two or three months, you know, when I get back to them, I go, wow, you've grown so much. Well, sometimes we're so close to things financially that we don't see how much we've grown in those areas and how much God has blessed us and how much our quality of life has risen. You know, but it does. It's a progressive thing. And, and to get out, we're going to be talking a lot about debt, ways to get out of debt. And remember that you, your prosperity is progressive. And it doesn't come overnight. Your, your lack of prosperity didn't come overnight. And so it's going to take a while to get you out of that place. If you're in a financial jam, it's going to take you a while to get out of it, just like it took you a while to get into it. You know, and once we get out of it, then God can really prosper you. Uh, what else does it say about, about you? It also says, speaks about your Christian witness. Matthew talks about us as believers being salt and being light. We are light to this world. If we don't handle our finances well, then what kind of a light are we shining to the rest of the world? If we're supposed to be salt, we're here to season this world, and yet we don't handle our financial dealings with this world in a way with integrity, then what does it say? It, it leaves a sour taste in people's mouth, doesn't it? Not, 
not what God wants at all. First Timothy 3, 7 says, moreover, he talks, he's talking about bishops, the person who desires to be a bishop. And really, it's, it's true of any believer, not just a person who wants to be in ministry. It says, he, moreover, he must have a good report or a good testimony among those who are outside, among those who are not even born again. We must have a good testimony in the financial area with people who are not born again. Hallelujah. In Romans 14, 13, it says, But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And I would add to that, or in anybody's way, whether they're a believer or unbeliever. The way you handle your money can cause somebody else to, to decide that, that Christians are just like that. You can't trust them. Wow, what an indictment against God. That should not be. It's, it's quite amazing to me that if you go to a bank or, in, in fact, is even dealing with um, any of the suppliers that we used when we built the church, when they found out the project was, was, was with a church, they wanted their money right up front. They were concerned whether they were going to get their money or not. You know, and, and that should I mean, that speaks to me of churches who have not handled themselves with integrity in the business world. What kind of a witness is that to a secular generation? You know, it's appalling to me. We had to, many times we had to reassure, you know, uh, contractors and subs you know, that you will have no problem getting your money. You do the work, you'll get paid. I promise you. And many of the time, I called them during that construction period. Called them and said, where's my bill? I know you, you're finished with the work. Where's the bill? I need to get this paid. Well, we haven't got around to it. Well, tell me what it is. Fax me a bill. You know, don't mail it. Fax it to me. I'll, I'll get you paid right away. And they're going, okay. We'll get you one. I'm going, all right, I'm, I want to pay this. You know, but it also, it, ref, it reflects on God. It reflects on the, on the church. I have come to the, to the distinct opinion that anybody that we hire, you know, if we ever hire in the future, I believe we'll, we'll hire some more people, you know, to be on staff around here as the church grows. And I honestly believe that one of the things we really ought to do is do a background check on their money. Find out what their credit history is like. Find out what, I don't want somebody working for us here at the church that does not pay their bills. Because people inevitably think that somehow we're supposed to know about that. And we're supposed to take care of it. Do you know how many times? We, we have been called as RMAI regional directors. We have been called about a pastor in another part of the state who wasn't paying his bills. as though we knew something about it or could do something about it. Well, I'm sorry, you know, but you need to take this up with them. You know, I have no control over that. Same thing is true, you know, with, with a person who's on staff here at the church. If they don't handle their finances right... I'm not responsible for their finances, and yet I believe in the future it's probably a wise idea for us to find out what their credit history looks like. How do they keep their bills paid? How do they handle their money? You know, because it will ultimately, in this community, look bad on us as a church, us as the pastors, God himself. Not going to have that. But if you're out there in the, in the world and you're not handling your finances the way you, you should with people, it reflects badly on everybody. There are people who will not go back to church because of what some Christian did or did not pay. There's people I can, I can name who, who were in business 
and they had Christian people come to them, make offers, or they did work for them who would not pay them and who will not darken the door of a church to this day because that's they believe is what all Christians are like. My heavens, putting a stumbling block in somebody else's path. How about somebody who's an unbeliever? You're dealing with them in business, you know, and you don't and you don't you don't handle your business affairs like you should. You think it's just a reflection on you? No, it's not just a reflection on you. It's a reflection on God. It's a reflection on you. It's a reflection on the church if they know what church you go to that thinks that we condone that kind of thing. Shouldn't happen. Should not happen. But these are all things that the way you handle your money says about your life and about your character. And so you don't want to do that. You want to make sure that, that you keep God as your source. You want to make sure your work ethic is what it ought to be. You don't want to work. Honey, I'm not going to feed you. Mm-mm. I don't owe it to you. If you won't get out there and work, I don't, I don't owe you. You know, there's been times when people have come to us over the years and have said, well, so-and-so, they really don't have any money. Their lights got turned off. And I knew they got paid the first of every month. And I knew that they went out to eat every single day for the next week. And I knew they wasted their electricity money. I don't owe it to them to pay that. God doesn't owe that to them to pay that. So, you know, when uh, somebody comes to you with a sad story, you better look to the inside of you to figure out whether God's telling you to help them or whether he's not. You think, well, boy, that's really mean you're not helping them to get them out of it because you're just going to do it again. If they have to make their own mess and clean up their own mess, get their sitting themselves out of it, they will eventually learn or they will go under. You, you have a lot of family situations that are that way. You know, even with family, you do not owe it to them to bail them out of trouble if they've not learned from their mistakes. I will be the first to help anybody who genuinely can convince me that I have learned from this. I will not repeat this. You know, help me. I'll be there. I'll be right there with them. But I will not hand them a dime to get them over to a place for them to waste it again. Won't do it. And you should not either. So before you give to anybody who's, who, who lets you know that they have a need or that you even find out they have a need, be wise enough to find out a little bit more. You don't have to know the details. God will tell you right here what you need to do. He'll always tell you. You see people that are on the side of the road. If God says that man over there with a sign, go give him $5. Go give him $5. But if he doesn't, keep your money in your pocket. Because I remember the time we, we sat on the side of a road at a red light watching this man who had one of those signs. Somebody stopped, got out of the car, ran over, gave him some money, and as the lady turned and went back to her vehicle, this man pulled out a wad that was this big. And I'm thinking, even if it's all ones, that's a lot of money. He's made more in one day than I do by standing with that sign. And what's he going to spend it on? If he had any sense, he'd go spend it on, on getting himself a decent meal, some decent clothes, and go find him a job. But no, the next day he's back out there. Don't do it. 
You know, I know it sounds heartless. I know there are a lot of churches who are into social programs who want to help the poor and the needy. But there are a lot of poor and needy out there who are, who are in the who are poor and needy because they themselves won't do anything for themselves. So you need to look to your own heart to figure out what you need to do in those situations. Keep your priorities straight. Keep your motives straight. Keep your integrity intact. Say no when you go to stores. If it's not in your budget, don't buy it. And make sure you protect your Christian witness at all times. So with that in mind, one of the best things you can do is realize that before you set, set a budget, if you're married, the two of you need to get in agreement about what you're about to do. You need to sit down together and find out what your plan is and then decide you're going to stick to a plan. You know, you can't, you can't have a good financial money management plan if two people who live together are not in agreement on it. And one person can't be spending under the table or secretly, and the other person not know about it. It's just not wise. Money matters will, will tear a marriage apart. So I know I'm speaking to a lot of, of married people here tonight. There are some of you are single, but if you're single and you one day get married, you need to know this. You know, when you get married, money is something that, that can be a blessing or it can be a curse. And the problem is you don't know sometimes about how the other person was raised and what the attitudes in the home about money were. So you'll have two different people who come into a marriage situation with two different mindsets about how to handle money. You'll have, this is generally what happens, you know, and, and God puts us together sometimes the way he does for one to offset the other, where one is strong, the other one is weak, where one's weak, you know, it just, it kind of, it kind of counterbalances each other so that when this one raises to this level, you know, everybody's on even keel. You know, there are, there are people who, and it's not always the woman who wants to spend the money, guys. You know, I, I'm the miser in our house. I am. He says I'm tired than a tick. I'm not sure what that really means. But <laughs> what was that? He said, what, you told me one time that I corrupt the, I couldn't, no, let's see, rub the nickel smooth or something. I don't know. You know, but, but you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was the way I was raised because we weren't raised with much. I like to know there's plenty of money in the bank. I like to know there's more than enough to cover anything that comes up. I don't like getting out there jumping out into adventures. I don't like adventures. I like safe things. <laughs> I want to see right. And that has hurt me in the area of faith. That has, that has helped me in the area of money management, but it's hurt me where it comes to, to just trust in God when God says, take this step because I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. You know, no, you know, but if you get married, you got one person who says, I just love just, you know, just flying by the seat of my pants. Oh, well, we'll just figure out next week when we get paid what we need, what we need to pay out. And we'll just do this. No, you can't do that. Then there's somebody like me. I want to know where every dime is. You know, I want to know where it's going to go. I've got a budget that Alec, I mean, I've got every penny Every week has got a place to go. And that's really what you ought to be doing. You ought to know wherever you ought to be able to account for every penny of every paycheck you've got. And I, I'm here to tell you, I, I have a homework assignment for you. Now I, now, I hope you'll do this. 
I'm not going to make you promise me. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But do this for me. Over the next two weeks to one month, I want you to make a diary. Find yourself a little book, a little notebook of some kind, spiral book, you know, a little ledger book. If you want to make yourself a spreadsheet, whatever. Whatever works best for you. And I want you to take your income, your paycheck, whatever comes in, and I want you to list it. And then I want you to account for every penny, every penny of that money. Do that through a couple of rounds of paychecks. Now, don't, don't, I mean, it's kind of like, okay, when the doctor tells you just to keep a, a list of everything you've had to eat, they want to try to find out what kind of a diet you're doing, and, you know, that donut that you were going to have, I'm not going to have it. No, just continue to do what you're doing, but at the end of the day, write it down. You go back and you figure out, okay, I had this much in my pocket when I left this morning, now I'd have this much, now where did it all go? Now, if you can do that, I think you're going to identify some places where you actually waste a lot of money. If you do that, you'll, go, you'll be amazed to find out how much you spent eating out. Well, it was just a Coke and a hamburger. Well, you do that every day for a weekend. Do you know how much money you've spent? You could spend almost 50 bucks if you did that every day. 50 bucks a week adds up to $200 a month. $200 a month is, 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 is a Rolex. <laughs> Seriously, it is. It's a $2,000. You could have had a Rolex. You know? <laughs> wow. A hamburger and a Coke a day. You could have had a Rolex. Thank you, dear. That was really sweet. But it's true. You know, when, when I, of course, now, I have, to, I have to, to, to go back and say, I know in today's economy, one of our biggest issues is gas. The price of gas has gone up, and we're all having to look at ways we can readjust our budgeting you know, to fit the higher cost of gas in. Well, there's, there's still ways to do it. Josh, where are you? Come here. I'm just going to address this right now because I, I don't think I really want to get started in, on something else tonight. Where's that handheld? Okay, Josh. Share with them what you shared with me the other day about gas. Well, like she was just saying, we all know the price of gas, you know, going up. And so um, I don't know exactly, maybe a month or six weeks ago, um, you know, right about the time that it started really, you know, shooting up, um, me and Diane, we were just, you know, both of us were kind of starting to fall into the trap of, you know, murmuring, complaining about this ever increasing, you know, every week it's, it's going up by X amount every week, you know. And so... Um, at the beginning when we started doing that, you know, we kind of caught ourselves and we said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to fall into the trap of our lives, everything about our life being held captive by the price of a gallon of gasoline. And so, um, you know, you, you're around, you know, you can't pick up a newspaper or you can't turn on a TV or you can't go anywhere in society without hearing about, you know, just this constant bombardment of, of gasoline, gasoline, the price of gas, this, that, and the other. And it's, you know, it's affecting this and, and, and everything else. And so, um, you know, to guard ourselves from that constant bombardment, we made a decision and, and sort of the way to counteract that is I just, in my heart, anytime, 
anytime I would either hear about, you know, the price of a gallon of gasoline or, or anytime I'd be driving and I'd see, you know, you have the marquee outside of every gas station, you see the price of gasoline. Anytime I would see that or would hear something about it or, you know, I would just, instead of, you know, focusing or meditating on that dollar amount, I would just, I would quote scripture in my heart. My God will supply all my needs. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And, you know, at first it was very mechanical. It's like, you know, I was trying to retrain my thought process Mm -hmm. of of what just the natural way of of thinking and, and, you know, what you hear said to you on a daily basis and what you read and and everything. But very soon it began to affect my whole attitude. It began to affect just my whole perspective in terms of, you know, my, my source and of blessing is not connected to, you know, how much I pay for, for gasoline. That's not, you know, whether I pay $2 for gasoline or $4 for gasoline, that doesn't affect whether God can supply my needs or not. And so by making that choice, making that decision and reminding, you know, what I'm doing when I, when I'd see that, you know, the marquee or the price, what I was doing is I was reminding myself of where my supply is. I was reminding my, you know, we're, we're reminding ourselves of, you know, God is our source, regardless of the price of, of a gallon of gas. And so that's, that's just been something for, for us personally, that's been very effective to, to keep our perspective straight and to keep our hearts right and to keep, uh, you know, the, the doors of supply that God has for us to keep it open. Because if we, we, you know, the beginning, we realized if we fell into the trap of, of murmuring and complaining and focusing on that thing. And, you know, when people are talking about it, you just jump into that conversation and you're agreeing with it. Then you're just shutting all those doors of supply that God has available to us. And so, um, I encourage you to do the same thing because it'll, it'll really change the way that you, you think about it and your perspective and how you can keep your heart right towards, towards God. Amen. See, you know, we have to always keep in mind that God is our source. And, and when, the, when the world wants to tell you how bad it is financially and economically, you have to go back and remind yourself that you're operating in God's economy. Now, at the same time, there's a practical side of that. The practical side of that says that, okay, there are some things I can do, some small things that I can do to make the most of the gas that I need to use so that I don't have to take that money from another area. What is that? Okay, maybe we carpool to church. Now, the two of us drive two vehicles to church every service because we have two very different schedules sometimes. I need to come earlier than he needs to come. He wants to get, be alone for a few minutes getting those last of sermon preparations together. I need to talk to somebody after church or he needs to go home. You know, whatever. You know, there's most of the time we drive two vehicles. You know, I don't run back and forth to home during the day. I look at a trip to home and back as half a gallon of gas. You know, if I don't have to go, I don't go. I came to, came to the church this morning, and I've been here all day. I brought my stuff with me, changed clothes. I didn't make another trip home. Um, you can decide that, you know, if I didn't buy it, I'm not going back after it. I'll just have to do without. If you, once you've carpooled together, let's make the most of the trip while we're out. Let's, if we need something, let's get it now so I don't have to come back. There's many things you can do. You know, plan your trips. We all run to Gainesville. Anybody who lives out here thinks nothing of running to Gainesville. You know, for some reason, people live in Gainesville think this is a long way away. It's not. I don't, I don't get it. You know, you know, we can drive that far, and it's not, it's not far at all. But for them, it's, it's for, for, too far. You know, but uh, you know, I make the most of my trips to Gainesville. I don't go for one, one thing. 
let's stack them all up. You know, like in the office, I've got many errands to do. So we, I mean, I have a list when I go to Gainesville for business things, and I take care of all of it at one time. Sometimes it'll take me hours and hours, but I'll get it all done in one trip. You know, you go to Gainesville, you've got a list of things to do. Make the most of your route. You know, don't go over here and then go, oh, I forgot something over there, and run back across town. You know, make the most of your routes, you know. And there are simple, easy things you can do to cut down on some of your gas consumption so that you don't have to go take money from another area to make up for the price of gas. You know, God has got so much wisdom in these areas to give you that will help you. And it's, and it's an interaction of the word and the natural. You know what I'm saying? You know, it doesn't have to be, it's not all or, or nothing, it's not, oh, I'm just going to believe God, you know, and then go spend, 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 spend. No, he, he wants you to use some wisdom in some areas, you know, where money is concerned. And he'll give you the wisdom that you need. So, we've given you one homework assignment that I hope you will do, because I believe it will really enlighten you. Next week, we're going get, to get really down to business on budgets. So, I've got these sheets that I want you to pick up and... Um, we can either have them passed out or I can put them back there and you can grab them as you go. But this is called a monthly income and expense sheet. The biggest, one of the biggest first steps you can do in making a budget, making a plan for your finances in any area, is, is to know what you're dealing with. You know, I, I, don't, I hesitate to say that there are lots of people here, here, you guys can pass them out. I suspect there's a lot of people who don't really know everything, don't have it written on paper, everything that goes out of their household financially every single month. But you need to find all of those things out in, able to, in, in order to make an efficient and wise budget work for you. If you don't have that, then we're sunk here because something's gonna, always going to come up that you didn't account for. So I want you to take these and just write all these down. You'll find the, the lines over to the right of every column is where you put the totals for those different categories that are in bold, like under housing. Housing comes uh, under that comes mortgage or your rent, whichever it is, insurance, taxes, utilities, water, Phone, maintenance, cable, other, and so then make your, make your total on the right line that's to the right of that, home improvements. If you think of something that's not on this list, we tried to make a broad enough category so we could make it just one page, but you need to, uh, to put down here what you're currently spending, not what you'd like to spend, but what, you're currently, what your current expenditures are in these areas. You say, well, I don't need a budget. Well, wonderful. You don't need a budget. But I bet you, you don't know how much you could be doing with what you have if you don't have a budget. You don't know how much waste is going out if you don't have a budget. If you don't know everything is going... Uh, one of the things I like about my particular credit card is that at the, every quarter they send me a breakdown of where everything went to. You know, categor, they categorize it for me and they send me this thing. And I will just be shocked sometimes at how much I spent at restaurants. <laughs> no, we've got to stop this. Got to stop this. So, we, you know, I've cut, cut way back on that. You know, but you'll find out when you actually sit down and put this on paper, you may find some surprises. And what we're going to do when we talk about budgets next week and the kind of percentages you ought to be spending of your income in each area, you're going to find out the places that you need to adjust to get them in line. 
okay? Take this home. This is nobody's business but yours. You know, if uh, you want to bring it back with you next week, I suggest you just fold it up, put it in your Bible. You know, you can take it out and look at it as you want. Nobody has to know what it, what it looks like. And um, it's just time to just get real honest about our finances and what we're going to do about it and how we're going to handle our money and go on from there. You know, we've got things we want to do. You don't, I don't want you to be hampered by debts and expenditures that, that you could be doing without. I want you to be able to not be locked in to not being able to give when God says, I want you to give and feel like, I can't, you know, put the panic button on, you know, because I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't. I want you, I, I want you to get to the place where, where you have enough to meet all of your needs and there's money left over to be able to sow into the kingdom because sowing is the only thing that's going to cause you to rise and be in a place that's more prosperous than you are right now. You know, you're going to manage your money well. You're going to have money left over to be able to sow into different things. And you're going to see God return it to you. And I tell you, it's just going to be a blessing. So anyway, take this and go. And uh, come back next week. I hope I didn't scare you off. Good. Good. I, I, I honestly believe this could be a real help to you. I've sat down with many people over the years when it comes to money. I'm not an expert, but I think for, in 38 years I've handled the money of our household pretty well. You know, we've, we've splurged on some things, and there's some things, some bad decisions we've made, and it's cost us. It hasn't cost us that much because I learned my lesson. One bad mistake, and I learned. You know, and that's what we all need to do is learn. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. Good night. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.